and many world championships and many Olympic goals does Paul O'Donnell need to win to be the greatest sports person of all time in Ireland is there a number can we pick a number because he's going to do it OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB sports app the OTB football roadshow in association with Cadbury FC Let's get our first guest out. He needs no introduction. I suspect there's going to be a big roar for Ian Wright, everybody! <laughs> yes, Ireland. Nice one. Oh, fuck you. Turn that fucking off. Wheel up, put that on for. Thank you very much. Wonderful, welcome. Really appreciate it. Do you enjoy that, Ian? What, that? That, that song? No, I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, you know, I had an agent at the time that was just pimping me out, man. <laughs> the only thing he didn't do was, like, sell my bottom. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but that was one of them times where, um, with hindsight, I, you never see that. <laughs> it would never have happened. Did that do anything in the charts, by the way? 41 it went to. Wow. <laughs> Not that I was taking any notice, to be honest. I wasn't taking any notice, but yeah, it went to, went to 41. Okay, so did any royalties still come in, or just from tonight? No, I, I, all, all the royalties go to charity. Ah. <laughs> uh, we've big Arsenal fan base in tonight. Wow, amazing. This is the, the, the pull of Ian Wright. Thank you very much. Uh, why do you think fans so loved you? What was it about you on the pitch, your relationship with them? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, um, it, it, I, think it came, I think it came down to coming in the game so late, not believing that I would have got there, but I got there when I was 22. And so when I, when I finally got there, I made sure I, I, I left no stone unturned in respects of trying to be the very, very best I could be. I remember I used to go to training, started training. When I used to go to work, I was working from 7 in the morning, to like sometimes half eight, depending on what the job was, if concrete came late. And I remember I went training and you start at 10.30 and the guys were leaving at like 12. So I, I thought, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? If I leave here at 12, I might as well stay here and just practice. Just ended up practicing till, till the end of my career, really. All I done was just practice, 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 because I just wanted to be the very, very best. I wanted to be the best. Mm. So. You know what I mean? It was, um, it was easy for me, and that's why the fans maybe, they might relate to me a bit more, because whatever club I was playing for, I would have played exactly the same as any of the clubs I played for, because mm. it meant so much to me to be playing and to get the adulation of the fans. I loved that. That was one of the things I loved more than anything else. The thing I miss most, the adulation. So you see, even when you come on, you get that cheer. I love all that. Well, that's nice. Well, they definitely love, love you that. still, that's for sure. Um, I know it's true of Ashley and I in advance of the evening and all the fans out there, I'm sure you can't not be struck by the arc of your life and your story and I suppose a way that you can explain it, maybe people who aren't overly familiar, is like this weird way in which the match of the day theme song <laughs> is like this kind of center point throughout but meant yeah. different things at different times. Yeah, it was, um, it was funny because when we were younger it was the one thing me and my brother, Morris, we used to look forward to more than anything else. Was, uh, was match of the day, and I had a stepdad that wasn't the, wasn't the greatest. We'll just put it that way and just leave it there. But, and what he would do is he would, um, he, he, would, he would turn us away 
So when, when it was getting ready to start, my mum was fine. My mum would let us watch it when he weren't about because he, every now and then, all of a sudden, we wouldn't see him for a while, then he would turn up, and then everything would be chaos. And then I remember what he used to do is, match of the day, we'd get ready to start, and we'd all live in one bedroom, and then we'd have to turn away. So we'd have to turn away and face the wall while it was on. And, you know, it was one of those situations where, you know, if he was crying, he would, he would, he'd let you know about it. So my brother used to, um, he used to cover my ears while I was turned away to the wall, and I would be crying because obviously I wanted to watch Match of the Day. And so he used to do that all the time. So by the time you get to the stage where, you know, um, you get older, and end up fucking presenting Match of the Day, I'm on Match of the Day. <laughs> and so every time the, 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 the music comes on, of course it takes me back to a place where, you know, it weren't great, because I used to treat my mum what he was like, and now he was... But like the match of the day music kicks me into a place of you literally could do anything you want, anything you put your mind to, really. Because yeah. I still sometimes now, even though I don't know how many years I've got left on it, if I'm going to be totally honest, but the fact is, is that to, to be able to go from there and then end up on match of the day was, it's still very hard for me to fathom it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's nice. And this is why when I'm on there, I try to make sure that I give everybody like a fair share of, like an airing. I won't hammer teams, I never hammer individuals. I just say what I see and just try to let people know that I'm doing this from a place of pure love. Because mm. I'm really fortunate to be on there, I feel that. Yeah, amazing, incredible. You didn't have it. Yeah. Absolutely. But saying that, my stepdad was a prick. <laughs> <laughs> so... Could, yeah. <laughs> With all due respect, you know. And you never had it easy to actually go on and make it as a professional footballer. Like you were, I think it was three times you were asked to go back to trials at Crystal Palace. Well, you know what happened? Well, what happened, Ash, was um, is that I had so many trials from the age of like 10. I had trials with all the London clubs. I wrote to all the London clubs. Um, I had trials at Palace, Charlton, Orient. I got answers from Chelsea, they didn't let me, they, they, they said, no, we haven't got this time. So I had all the trials with those guys. I didn't get through any of the trials. I didn't get, I didn't even, I got through, I, I didn't even get through my district trial. Um, so, you know, it, it was from, from that age, from 10 all the way through, I played, I started playing Sunday morning football at men's football at 15. And it was, it was amazing, mm. you know what I mean? And I had trials. I remember the last trial I had was like Brighton when I was like 19. And I'd done everything to get there. You know, when I was 19, I got down to Brighton. Some of the times I, had to be, I was begging for money to get there and get back. And I stayed up for six weeks, scored goals. I remember I scored at Swindon, scored at Reading in the reserves. And they still said no. And then after that, I was like, fuck it, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I ain't going to play. I cannot do that. I can't do that again and play that well and not get involved. And so after that, especially with Sean. Sean was like just being born as well and that. I thought, I need to get a job, I need to work, I need to start bringing something in, I need to get a trade. I need to be a plasterer. I was, I was doing plastering, that's what I went to do. And so I started doing that, but I was playing, I was playing Sunday football um, regularly and Saturday. And, you know, I was playing on a decent team. You know, we played against decent, decent players and that, but I was scoring three and four goals a game, but I didn't think it was anything of note because I'm playing against blokes who are putting out cigarette fags and that just before they're starting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Big, fat blokes and stuff like that. 
and, you know, trying to kick you. And I was thinking that, like, jumping over them and laughing and doing all that stuff, I didn't think that years, years, years to come that was going to help me <laughs> in leaping people. Yeah. But, um, so I've got, and then, so this is happening for a few years, and then what happens is, is that um, I'm playing on my Sunday side, 10 MB, and we're playing in finals, and I scored, I was scoring like, like I say, two or three goals a game. I scored, I scored two in the semi-final, scored three in the final, in the Mary Wiltshire Shield. I, 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 there was another final I played for the Saturday team. I beat, we beat that team 1-0, I scored that, and then I heard that Palace were watching me, but at the time, I've just got a decent job at Tunnel Refineries in, in Greenwich, and I had my missus. Bradley was now born, so I got Sean and Bradley, and I couldn't afford to lose that job. I was getting 105 pounds a week, man, oh. and 140 odd when I because I carried on signing on because I didn't know what I needed. <laughs> so, so every now and then I was getting something like 150 every other week. So, you know, with my with my. Um, my, I, I was, how can I say, my insecurities. I didn't think that Palace were going to keep me or going to keep me on, so I just said, I'll, I'm going to, okay, I'll tell, I'll, I, I didn't, I said to them, I'm not going to do it. But then what happened was, is that the, the, the boss that I had, I, we never used to meet, because I used to always do this thing where I used to skive. I used to act like I'm fucking going down there to do some work, and I'd be walking like that. So busy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'd walk back there, and then everyone would say, God, you're such a hard worker and that. But I was really just fucking skiving somewhere down there, <laughs> skiving somewhere there, because I don't like hard work, and I didn't like my hands getting all roughed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then, I remember I met him in the, in the canteen, and he was asking me, what's going on, how's it going? And I was saying to him, yeah, it's going all right. Yeah, Palace, Palace have asked me for, over for a trial, and he said, well, what did I say? No, I turned him down. I said, well, how many times? Well, I turned them down three times. I said, I can't do... Because I'm not joking, my, the, the rejection, because when I go back to the community, when they heard that I've gone to another trial and I've failed, they all used to take the piss out of me and say, oh, he's good against these guys, but he's useless against this, so he's never going to make it. And that. So I didn't want to go for another trial where I go back to the community and then they say, oh, he's failed again. So I said to Pat, I can't do it. I can't afford it because I've got to look after my boys and bam, bam, bam. And then he said, you know what we'll do? I'll try and keep the, tra I'll keep the job for you for, for the two weeks, because you're a good worker. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, you know, if it doesn't work out, you could come back. And you know something, it was the only time, and this is what I always say to, to people who came on trial after I made it and done my stuff, play, play your game, play how you play, because if they're gonna, if they're gonna say you're not gonna make it here, make sure it's on your terms, because what I used to do is I used to go to these trials and I'd try and play how I thought they wanted me to play, not give the ball away, not, you know, not take chances, not take people on. Not so when I went to Palace with this like, freedom of, like, I'm going to get my job back in two weeks, I just went for it, man. I just roasted him. I was shooting from everywhere, right. scoring goals. I was going past like, their first-team players like Jim Cannon and Mickey Joy and Henry Newton and all that lot, and I was playing really well, but not thinking that anything's happening of it. And then, you know, like, what was so... I got there on the Monday, and then the next Tuesday, Steve Koppel just said to me, listen, we think you've got half a chance. We, you know, we want to sign you. Yeah. Right? And he said, we want to sign you. I thought, oh, fuck it, I can't believe it. Huh? And I said, we want to sign you for three months. So I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's because then I'm thinking, Jesus, so it's going to take me three months to do all this, and then they're going to let me go again. And so, you know, that's what I first, that was my first initial reaction. But then I just thought, you know what, just, just do what you're doing, man. You can have three months, you can still sign on. You know what I mean? And, um, 
and nick the money, take their money, and then, but then after like, I don't know, it would have been six weeks into it, they just said, we want to sign you, I want to sign you for a year. Mm. And bam, that was it. It's amazing, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Arsene Wenger arrives. Yeah. Tell us about the man, or tell us things we mightn't necessarily know about Wenger. You were late, late enough in your career at that stage, obviously. And it was uh, the one thing about Arsene Wenger was, you know, I just, I just, like he says to me, he always says he just came a little bit too late for me because when he came and changed everything with the training, with the with the nutrition, with with the way he was, because I had managers that, no matter what you've done um, in the game at halftime, if you're playing well. Like the kind of beating you with a stick about, like, you need to do this, you're fucking, you're like, come on, you're taking the piss. And, you know, everything was like, fucking, oh, Jesus Christ. You'd, you'd come in at half time, George Graham, you'd be 2 0 up, 3 0 up, and he'd just hammer everyone, just slaughtering you. You're not doing this, you're 3 0 up. Um, whereas Arsene Wenger would come in, and with everything what he'd done with the, with the nutrition, um, with, the, with the fitness and the, the way he, he got us fit, you know, took away all the shit food and everything, gave us good stuff and, you know, never ever berated us, ever. You know, you'd come in and even if, if, if it's like tight, if you're losing, you'd come in and just tell about the good things that you're doing, the good things we're doing as a team, the good things that we've been working on all week and we're still doing it, but you know what I mean, we've got to keep doing it because it will happen. You know, so you go back out and you're not, you're not going out there in, like in a rage, you're going out there calm, you know, trying to think back on the things that he'd done good in the week. And more often than not, he was always right. He always got it right because of his, his nature, his calm nature. He's, he's, he's treating you like a man, yeah. you know what I mean? Because we're all in it together, trying to do stuff. He's not making you feel like you go, oh, I'm going to try and do it for you. I love you so much. And you, you know? respected him for that. Absolutely, then. absolutely. And so he brought all that to it, you know, which was something, like I say, I really, I really, really regret I didn't have that kind of like leadership before, even though, you know, Steve Koppel, I love Steve Koppel, you know what I mean? But those guys, for some reason, they have to, in addressing them, they, they're beating you with a stick, it's the carrot and a stick, whereas Arsene Wenger was just like, no, 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 you're, you're very good, you, you, you deserve to be here, and giving you pure love. It was an unbelievable experience, unbelievable experience mm -hmm. to, work, to work under him. And he did bring in some of the dietary requirements that maybe before that a lot of professional footballers wouldn't have had. No drinking, there was no tea. No, there was no tea. There was no there was salt. No, no, there was, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was fucking, it was tough at this time. Because <laughs> I remember there was, I remember there was a time where, because me and Dennis, me and Dennis shared rooms um, for like three, three years, four years. And I remember when it started, to, when it happened, I, I, I tried to sneak stuff in. Um, so <laughs> I'd sneak, because we weren't allowed tea, you weren't allowed salt, you weren't allowed any chocolate bar, you weren't allowed anything leading up to the game, the only thing you can have is water. And I remember I snuck in um, tea bags. And so I remember went in the room, and this is, we're talking about two, two weeks in, two weeks in, because I was really like fucking cold turkey and on, with the stuff I needed. <laughs> and, you know, I brought it in and I said, yeah, Dennis, I've got this. And Dennis, um, I remember Dennis, and this is why Dennis is so elite, you know, why he was so amazing. He said, you really, you really gonna, you really gonna drink that? Oh, no. You're really going to eat that after what we're doing here? You know, the boss said we can't do that. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and if you know Dennis's face, Dennis was like, yeah, you can't, you, we, we can't do that. 
Because Dennis was one of the first ones that not only what we were doing at the training ground in respect to what we were eating, what we were drinking, he took it home as well. And I found out that Patrick and all the rest of the, the, the foreign boys were doing that. Then, the, then Tony started doing it. And then we all started doing it. Then in the end, obviously I didn't eat them because I felt so bad, but in the end, everybody was on the same page with everything. You know, he, was, he would get specialists in from, like, France to do special massage, and we'd get vitamin injections straight into the veins. You know what I mean? Which we was all saying, what's fucking Paul Merson going to do getting that? <laughs> but, like... You know, but, like... You know, and <laughs> it was like... Um, and, and, and I remember we'd go, to, we'd go to England. We'd go to England, and the guys, the guys would be saying, what are you lot doing? What are you lot? Because we were so strong, we were so fit, and even that... That season when we won, when we won the, the league in the end, we'd done the double. We had to win something like 12 games, and we were just flying. We were just like, it was like Superman. We had so much energy. Mm. We were so, everything was so beautiful. And you could see the goal, what we, what we finished Everton off with on the last, when we won it, with Tony, Boldy knocking it to Tony, Tony scoring was, it was a perfect, it was yeah. perfect, perfect storm. Yes. And you screaming down the camera with your medal, it obviously... I mean, it's funny because, like, when I do that, obviously me and Keno are really tight mates now, yeah. you know, we're tight. And <laughs> I remember he always used to fucking slaughter me. Right, you've got a cabinet full of fucking losers' medals. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you wanted to let him know. So there's a, there's a shot. Um, there's a shot where the camera, you know, it pans into you, and I've got my... And I'm going, Keno, winners! Winners, <laughs> you know, and he says, "Righty, I didn't say that. I didn't say that." Because <laughs> now with Roy, you know, because we, we, like I said, we work together and he's so great. And I said, "Roy, don't you remember saying that to me?" He said, no, "I didn't say that." <laughs> Come on, no, Righty. <laughs> but you know, um, like I say, it was going with, with Wenger and, and that time. Mm. It's funny because it's a time where I started to realise that you know something, I'm not going to have much more of this. So it was one of those. Um, Joe, where I'm, I'm feeling like, you know what, I'm so pleased in the end that I, yeah. I, I won the league with Arsenal because I couldn't have done any more in the way I was playing and what I wanted to do in respect of scoring the goals. And I would have been devastated if we didn't win one because when I got there, we, we were champions twice out in the last three years before the, just before the Premier League started. So yeah. that would have been devastating. You didn't want the right years to be bookended Absolutely. By, uh, I didn't want it to titles. be bookended with, with, like, with no champion, mm. not being a champion. We could all observe him from afar and see the genius. You must have seen, as you mentioned, Burkamp. You must have like had this weird front row seat, telepathic relationship with Burkamp, and really appreciated the genius. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, I remember when we first started to <laughs> when we started sharing rooms. Um, I remember when he first came in. You know, he came in, done his stuff, but really everything about Dennis was really calm and very elegant and beautiful. And um, I remember we, we got in the room, did a done stuff, and then he went in the bathroom. I went, oi, oi. And then <laughs> when he came out, came out in full pyjamas and fucking slippers. <laughs> right, and I was like, is he taking a piss? What's it? Because I was sleeping in a vest and no underpants, right? <laughs> and so... <laughs> so I'm thinking, no, 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 this is... This is one, I'm telling you, 100%, this is, this is what happens, yeah? So he came out, straight face, bam, nothing. I'm looking at him thinking, he's going to go, <laughs> And he didn't. And so, so, went to bed, everything and that. He, now, he, Dennis always talks about me, because I used to sleep, talk, and sleep, like, sleep, walk, and all that. He tells that story, but shit, he's lying. I can't remember doing any of that. <laughs> but um, I remember the next week, 
I went to a place, was it Yasser and, Tur Yasser and Turnbull, I think it was, in German Street, West End. Bought myself a fucking pair of pyjamas and some slippers. <laughs> I said, what, what, what would start happening was, so that we'd, 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 we'd start having who's got, who comes out of the bathroom with the best pyjamas on. <laughs> in the end, I'm not joking, in the end, in the end, I'm not joking, between, we must have had 70 pairs of pyjamas. <laughs> but like, in respects of being able, what, what, I, what I'm very fortunate for and what I'm always thankful for, and this is why, because like, I got in so late, I always, even when I was playing for England, playing in the, in the big games, for us, I always had the moments where I was like, I cannot fucking believe this is happening to me. Mm. And it's the same with Dennis. You know, playing with him and the way we played and the way we, we, we struck up the partnership very quickly because he's so good. You know what I mean? He can, I, I can run into space. He could create space for you. It was just like made for me. And it was, it was one of those situations where I just... I just wanted to play longer with him. Mm. I just wanted to play with him more because of how great he was. And you saw everything about Arsenal change when Dennis signed. It was like when Spider-Man got bitten by that fucking unbelievable spider. The DNA changed. <laughs> the whole DNA in Arsenal changed when we signed Dennis. As soon as he put his finger, he's put his, that pen to that paper, that DNA changed. We were going to be a different team. And it's no coincidence that it's because Dennis, everything, all the success we had at Arsenal, especially when, obviously from 95, 96, when he got there, he was the main fulcrum of it. He was the, the main architect of it. And this is why Thierry and everybody who's played in that team said the best person, the best player they've played with is Dennis. Yeah. We were very lucky to have him. And if George Graham was the manager, he would never have signed him. Why? Because he just wouldn't have. He's the, he's the kind of player that George Graham just wouldn't have signed. He wouldn't have signed a player like that because we had a really good chance of getting David Ginola. If you speak to David Dean, could have got David Ginola um, after we played them um, in the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup. He, he was desperate to come. He wanted to come. George Graham didn't want him. Didn't want him. And I was devastated with that because that's the kind of player that we would have been unbelievable at Arsenal. And who really took control, say, in that Arsenal dressing room around that time? Who was in control? Tony. Mm -hmm. Tony, Tony was like, fucking parlor's piss with you fucking. <laughs> Ray Parler. Ray Parler is easily the funniest person outside of being on a comedy circuit. The funniest. <laughs> and you know what? For the first, I remember, so Ray Parler's unlucky, right? Simply because Ray Parler's mentor was Tony Adams, right? <laughs> so. So what happened was, Ray Parler used to come in with Tony Adams, and it was the time where Tony wasn't with us. You know what I mean? On the pitch, I've never seen anyone train, um, abuse himself like he did, and train as hard as he did, and obviously pass that on to Ray, right? <laughs> Ray, used to, Ray used to be, when he made his debut, I think he might have been 17, 18, he was at, at, Liverpool, at Liverpool. Ray made his debut, and Ray Parler got fined so frequently by the club, he used to owe the club money at the end of the month. <laughs> he used to be in so much trouble, Ray, Ray Parler, for, for a 17, 18-year-old, but like a great player. And again, somebody that, you know, people talk about the Invincibles, they don't talk about the balance and the quality of, of someone like Ray Parler because he's, he's, he's in amongst some unbelievable players from, from our club and the greatest players in our club's history. But Ray Parler was a major factor in that team. Mm. When you mention 
Tony Adams there and this amazing leader and, and his struggles, which he's so wonderfully eloquent about. Do you remember his dressing room being concerned about him or was it seen as, ah, oh, he's fine, he's just, you know, this is what we do? Um, what do you mean, with the drinking and yeah. stuff? No, we weren't concerned. Right. Um, because, because we used to go out with him, we used to do it all the time, but... <laughs> no, I don't mean it like that. I don't mean it. Because, like I say, he was somebody that... You know, w when we knew that he was out and he was on it, and he came to training, you could not, you could not tell whether he was drunk or he was drinking for the last two days, three days, sure. because he was exemplary in training. It was amazing. He wouldn't yeah. speak, wouldn't say a word, but, you know, don't take the piss out of him, he'd fucking launch you in training. <laughs> but, like, in respects of somebody... And, like, I know Tony's story, I know everything, and this mm. is why I know he's, how amazing he is. For him to come back from what he's done, he's still dry now, what we are, 20-odd years, 20-something years, and he's, and he's still dry, I'm so proud of him. Because what he went through, and at the time, his wife was, a, was an erring addict. You know, so what he had to go through in all that time, to then captain the team and everything like that was, you know, it, it, sh it should be a film. Yeah. It did you know a, a lot of that? At the yeah, we knew all the stuff. And the thing is, is that when you're playing, like you asked, did we care in that? We didn't care because all we, we cared about was he was ready to play on a Saturday, which, yeah. is, mm -hmm. which is not great for, in respect of someone's well-being. But that's how it was in those times. And this is why I think that him and Arsene Wenger get on so well, because he had the right manager at the right time that can understand a human being rather than um, a George Graham or a Bruce Rioch or anybody else, Stuart Euston. They didn't understand. Arsene Wenger mm. had empathy for everything that was going on with him and he helped him And he just that. tried to manage it so he knew Absolutely. what was happening. He Absolutely. just thought, okay, we just yeah. manage this, get the best out of him. Yeah, and he did it in the end. He did it and mm -hmm. like I say, he's clean now, coming on 30 years and you know, I'm very, very proud of him. Yeah, amazing. So, do you look back on the George Graham years with... Um, With a fair degree of frustration, like it's a few times you've referenced it there, that we could have been more or we could have done things differently. Um, I don't know, because like, it's, it's very difficult that you're going to blame, um, blame the, the, the captain because we, had a, because we had a drinking culture. There was years, like I say, when I went there, I went there in 1991 and they just won the, the league twice in the last three years. And I wanted to be a champion more times than I did, but we had a, we had a dressing room at the time that was that lost, lost sight. You know, at a time where Man United just fucking yeah. started to kill it, you know what I mean? And it was very tough to play in that side where we were, we were winning FA Cups and European Cup winners' Cups and stuff like that. But to watch Man United's ascendancy and the players and their drive and determination. And they themselves, they had some players who could put it away as well. But, like, they were unbelievable in their, their attitude and the fact that they... They, they, they never die, never say die spirit, what they had. And that's what I was, that's what I was hoping was going to be at Arsenal, but we didn't quite have it. We didn't have it like they had it. And then they got that influx of the players as well at that stage, you'd Beckham and Skulls and Giggs and all them lot coming through, the Nevilles, you know, the Chuckle Brothers, I call them, <laughs> um, come through. And, you know, then to add with the, the great players that they had, yeah. you know, it was very hard to be playing for Arsenal in that time when Man United were just like, so good, they were so good. That's why it's just, as much as people, like I say when I do the match of the day and you know, watching them against Brentford, it's not good to watch. It's like, I remember watching Muhammad Ali um, get beaten up by Larry Holmes. It made me, it made me sad. Mm. And watching Man United with everything that's going on upstairs, with what's going on 
with, with, their, with their owners, with the, owner, the, the, the people that the owners have employed to run the club, the scattergun approach to the, to the way they're signing teams, and I know this, it's, you know, I'm meant to be talking United, but the scattergun approach, now that the link, the link that they got with people, the fucking stadium's falling to bits. You know what I mean? You think to yourself, it shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be, hap- yeah. it shouldn't be happening to a club of that stature because they, they need owners that are going to take Man United back to where they used to be. Now, the reason why I feel this way, and I feel the same about Liverpool, when Liverpool 30 years out, it needs these two clubs. Yeah. It needs these two clubs. So to see, them, to see United in this state at the moment, it's not, it's not good watching for me. Obviously, the fans are fucking loving it because <laughs> they was, because they, because they was, they were so successful. The, the success they had yeah. is, is why they're, 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 they're disliked like that. But I only got respect for them. I only got respect for them. You are staying with us as a final point for now. Is there a favourite moment or a favourite goal in your Arsenal career? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, poor Matt Jackson. Huh? I scored a goal against Everton and unfortunately Matt Jackson was in my vicinity. And I just, I just, what happened was is that Dave Seaman kicked it out. And this is, like I say, I go back to my teacher and this is one of the goals that I'm so pleased that um, I scored this goal because I know that he would have loved it. It's because when Dave Seaman kicked it, it came over, um, over the defender. And all I wanted to do initially was, was keep possession because it was right in their third. And so once I, I got it, the ball came and I flicked it over myself like here. And then as I flicked it over, Matt Jackson, he kind of overcommitted himself. And what they say is, if you see the number, he's overcommitted, he's gone too far. So as soon as I saw that, I just went back the other way. So obviously he's had to turn again. So now I'm looking and I know where I'm in the box. It's like seeing this line here. I know where I'm in the box, I know where the goal is. And so once, that, once that's happened, I've got a glimpse in my eye and I can see Neville Southall, he, obviously he has to be this side of the, to cover this side of the goal. So I'm thinking, well, there's a lot of goal over him. So I, I just lift it over him and it just worked. Mm. And why I love that goal so much is because I didn't know it was coming. It all just happened very instinctively. It was just like, bam, bam, bam. And, you know, it was like, it was beautiful, man. Yeah. It was a beautiful goal. <laughs> okay. He is going to stay with us, but I think you agree. That was amazing. Ian Wright, everybody. Thank you very much, guys.